This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And welcome back to the Conclusions Podcast. Here is Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, we are here on Thursday night. You've had a few days to recover from Sunday's disappointment. This podcast is primarily going to be focusing on previewing the Steelers game, talking about Zach's you know, debut. Um, but you've had a chance to look at the all 22 from the Bengals game. Let's open up this pod talking about some of the takeaways you've had after you've gotten a chance to sit down and actually watch the game again, see uh, how the team really performed. So first, how are you doing? And secondly, what were some of the other takeaways you had from that, from that depressing Bengals game now that you've had a few days to, to soak it all in? Yeah, I'm look. I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to Zach's return. I think for all intents and purposes, this is the beginning of the Jets' 2022 season. So I'm looking forward to what he's going to do this season. I, I think for better or worse, it's just going to be good to to get that information. And he definitely brings, you know, more excitement and just versatility of skill set to the offense. So, but yeah, looking back at the Bengals game, I think there there were a lot of takeaways and. The biggest thing, I guess, that stands out to me is, and it's a very similar takeaway from the first game against the Ravens, but it's the way these wide receivers are playing and the number of opportunities that are there that haven't really been capitalized on by Joe Flacco. Um, and specifically talking about Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore. And it's, it's something that's frustrating, you know, in the present when you're watching the game and you know, you hope the Jets can play well and win, but it is exciting looking forward because, you know, Joe Flacco isn't going to be the quarterback for the long term. So you hope that Zach Wilson can convert on some of those opportunities uh, more so than Joe Flacco was. But, you know, looking at the Bengals film, there was as good as, you know, Garrett Wilson produced again. Um, Elijah Moore obviously didn't have the best game production wise, but you look at the film and you watch them on a play to play basis and, the separation is there. They win a lot and there are going to be so many chances for Zach Wilson, for Zach Wilson to find these guys to make plays. And, and granted the offensive line has to protect better for him to have time to, you know, convert on those chances. Uh, there are ways Michael floor can be a little bit better, but those two guys win and the jets have not in, in the years they've had young quarterbacks trying to develop young quarterbacks, I don't think they've had a duo of receivers as talented as these two. When it purely looking at their ability to win on their routes and create chances. So it's exciting to have these two guys here to support Wilson as as he looks to have a, an improved second season here. Yeah, I would say the one thing about Garrett Wilson that I was thinking about this week 
when we're thinking about Zach's return, and I do want to go back to the Bengals game a little bit more. Um, but when we think about Zach Wilson's return, Garrett, to me, obviously Zach thought that he was the best receiver out of all the, the receivers in this draft class. At least that's what was reported, that he wanted the Jets to draft Garrett Wilson. But Garrett not only is a, is a great fit in this offense, and not only is he impressed at the, the first two weeks, but when you look at the type of receiver that, that Zach had in college, and we talked a lot about this when he was coming out and we were looking at receivers this year, like um, or maybe the year before when we didn't have an idea of the, the little floor scheme, we talked a lot about, about like a, a jump ball receiver, somebody he can throw the ball up to. And then last year when we saw how Mims didn't really adjust and we kind of got a better understanding of this LaFleur offense, we were like, all right, well, they don't really look for the, the jump ball receiver as much. They value separation. They value yak. You look at the successful guys in the system. It's a lot of the smaller guys, uh, the speedier guys, you know, the Debo Samuels, the Brandon Ayukes, the Devontae Adams. But the thing that Gary Wilson brings is he's kind of a blend of both where he is a perfect fit for this offense in terms of the separation that he creates, the the route running acumen, what he can do after the catch, but he brings that vertical ability for Zach. So that I know I wanted to go and open up and talk about the Bengals podcast or uh, the, uh, the Steelers game, but um, sorry, I wanted to open up and talk about the Bengals game. But when you look at Zach's return for the Steelers game, what I'm really excited to see is how he works with these young receivers. Like you said, and specifically Garrett Wilson, because I think he's really going to be able to open up um, some of what we saw of, at BYU from Zach, just his ability to recognize leverage and throw it up to a receiver. He trusts, he doesn't, he hadn't, he didn't really have that as rookie year. Elijah Moore is a, I think will be a great receiver right now. He's a good receiver, but he's not a vertical guy. He doesn't win that way. Corey Davis can, but he's not really a jump ball guy. Garrett Wilson put the ball up. He's got that, that basketball ability to go up and, uh, and bring a, a ball in for six. Uh, and so I th- I'm really fascinated to watch that. Let's circle back though. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that we want to talk about, like how Zach changes his offense, what you're excited to see talking about the Steelers schemes. But when we go back to the Bengals game, uh, now that you had a chance to look at the all 22, is there anybody who stood out negatively? Because we talked about kind of the sentiment. I re-listened to our, our Monday pod and the sentiment was like, okay, well on offense, everything besides QB and left tackle was mostly competent. Uh, do you think that's that's still the case, uh, or did did anybody else in offense kind of jump out to you specifically on that offensive line and in terms of negatively? And then on the defensive side, we were kind of like, well, everything else sucked outside of the corners. The pass rush got it going a little bit in the second half, but still underwhelmed. So when you get a chance to really dive into the film, watch every play, who were some of the guys that stood out negatively? Um, and then maybe I'll come back for, for any guys who stood out positively. But I, I know there are a few negatives in here. Yeah, well, I I think it kind of supported our initial takeaways. Joe Flacco was really bad in this one. <laughs> I think as as bad as he was in the Ravens game, this might have been similarly worse, maybe a little bit worse. But it, just the missed opportunities. Worse. Yeah, I think it was worse. But did you did you have the reaction that I thought you would when I said because going to the last pod, I was like, um, well, when you watch this film, you're going to be half of you is going to be happy. Cause you're going to realize, Oh wow. There's like so much potential for this offense. Cause of how bad Joe played, but then you're also half of you is going to be incredibly pissed off and frustrated. Cause you're going to realize, Oh, this Bengals game should have looked a lot different with competent quarterback play. Yeah. That, that was the exact reaction. Like I know you were at the game in person. And like you said to me there, it got to a point where you were kind of just squaring in on Garrett Wilson. And, and, and he was like one of my main focuses of, watching this film and just you could see it and I posted some clips on Jets X Factor 
Um, but there are a lot of plays where he, he's just not getting hit. And, and this is in addition to as productive as he is already as productive as he's already being, you know, all the catches he made, I think he had six for 16 this game or something like that, but that's probably half of what he should be getting. If he were being rewarded the majority of the time when he wins, no one gets rewarded every single time they win their route. But if he were just getting, giving being given chances to make plays at a just normal rate he would be well over 100 yards in each of maybe all three games um but that's how often he's winning so i totally agree with you he's he's just on that level right now and and, and when they drafted him and when we were looking at him pre-draft like he i always figured he had a high ceiling but i did not think it was going to come this year let alone immediately his first three games it's because it already seems like he's at that level. It's hard to really watch him play and point out things that he needs to improve on. I mean, we'll see if the drops turn out to be an issue. He's so far, he's really only had the one big one against Cleveland. But other than that, it's just he's firing on all cylinders right now. So, uh, but yeah, I think Flacco was bad. Um, then left tackles as bad as we thought it was watching live. George Fant struggled. And, and you know, now with George Fant, I guess we can chalk it up to the knee injury that he's not really fully recovered from. So hopefully some rest will allow him to come back to full form because, you know, it was, it was, it was very strange to see him playing so poorly compared to last year. But so I think it makes sense now knowing that he was injured. So he he did look like he was really having to, I'm trying to, there's a funny tweet. I'm not going to be able to give credit. So I won't, I won't try to completely rip it off, but it was something about him playing in like wet jeans. And that's kind of what he looked like. Uh, his lateral movement uh, on, on his breaks just didn't look the same. He looked a yeah. lot stiffer. Yeah, no, you could definitely see that just like as he got into his kick slide and, you know, trying to match guys around the corner. It used to be a strength of his or typically is because he's such a good athlete, but definitely wasn't this year. So um, I guess comforting to know that you could chalk it up to that. It's not like he's just, randomly terrible so we'll see if he could get back to form but Connor McDermott and we'll we'll talk more about how the Jets will handle this going <laughs> forward but he stinks at football let's just say that man he is bad I don't, we, I don't did, we did wish for his we did end up wishing for his death on this podcast on on Monday if you remember <laughs> accidentally but accidentally we're not fans of Connor McDermott on this pod yeah it does seem like he'll be starting they did they did bring in two tackles this week Mike Remmers uh, to the practice squad who actually went to my high school. I have an interview with him from like eight years ago. It's pretty cringy and terrible, <laughs> but uh, if, if he ends up being good, maybe we can post that he's in the practice squad, but he seems like strictly a right tackle. And then they brought in Cedric and there's, uh, do you know how to pronounce his last name? I don't I, really want to mess. I, I was, I was on the live stream with Kyle Smith earlier and he, he nailed it. I was like, Oh, I completely forgot. Oh, Okay. Well, he's more of the left tackle. He's a first round pick from the Bengals in 2015. I think Uh, he's been pretty bad. He's bounced around the league, but as, as we said in this pot on Monday, literally any tackles better than McDermott. So I I can't imagine they'd start this guy over McDermott. Um, Okay. I got it. It's oh boy. He, the G is silent. uh, That's not too bad. Oh boy. boy There we go. All right. That's yeah. There's no way that, you know, now that we know how to say it, it's not too bad, but uh, oh boy. He, um, while he hasn't been very good in the NFL, I hard to believe that he'd be worse than McDermott, but I can't imagine that he would start over McDermott considering 
McDermott's been here for like three years at this point. He's been with the team through the off season and training camp. Um, but I like that at least they brought him some tackle depth, even if it's not very good tackle depth that helps to, I guess, to have that first round pedigree, but uh, anybody they're adding at this point is not going to be very good. So the, the tackle situation is definitely rough, but sorry, Michael, you were, you were talking about, uh, about last week. Yeah. I guess in addition to the, those two, uh, I think Lake and Tomlinson kind of fell back again in this yeah. game. So he's definitely got to, he's got to step it up and, and we'll talk about it with Pittsburgh, but he's got a big matchup this week. What do you think is going on with Lakin? Do you, do you think that, cause he, in, in Detroit, he wasn't like a, a world beater. He was kind of like an average even below average at times guard. He goes to uh, San Francisco under the same offensive line coach the Jets have right now. Uh, and he puts up career years. He's a pro bowler this past year. And yeah, like it, look, it's been two games. Um, but do you think the fact that he's not playing next to Trent Williams and now that he's playing next to uh, a mix of G- George Fant and then Dwayne Brown and then back to George Fant and now Connor McDermott, like, do you think that is what's going on? Like, what are you seeing from George or from, from Lake and Tomlinson that is a big red flag to you? Or do you think that it's mostly just chemistry that he's getting um, or trying to develop with his, with his left tackle? I don't know. He's so puzzling because it's like, you know, fan, we could chalk it up. He was injured. And now that you look back at it, now that you look back at it, you, you can kind of see that. Um, and it's not really chemistry because, you know, it's most of the losses are just one-on-one. It's not like we're seeing a ton of free rushers or anything. I don't know. And Joe Blue kind of talked about it on his stream last, I think last week, but it's just technically he's not as good as he usually is, you know, just ducking his head into box, you know, letting guys get over top of him and just you know, sloppy technique. So it's, 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 it's been pretty odd to watch. There's not really much explanation for it. You know, hopefully he can turn it back on, you know, you, and, and maybe that is encouraging because as a veteran, you would think, you know, okay, he should be able to figure it out. If it's just technical, it's not like he's hurt or anything. Like he, he should be able to watch the film and just clean things up. But it it is also a little concerning because you just wonder how a guy could fall off a cliff so early, especially, you know, he is, granted, this is not that old for an offensive lineman, but he is 30 years old. So you do wonder about that. Um, I don't know, definitely concerning with him. Outside of Lakin, though, um, I think there were a few things, especially on the defensive side of the, uh, the ball, because going into the Bengals game, it was kind of like, uh, and you would, you articulated, articulated this perfectly in the podcast on Monday, where it was basically like, look, going into the Ravens game, mobile quarterback, you kind of get why maybe the defensive line didn't have the sack performance that you would expect or the pass rushing performance, because you don't overcommit on a guy like Lamar overall actually the defense had a really nice day against Baltimore. Obviously they had the two blown touchdowns, but besides that, I mean, compared to the two other teams, Baltimore's played like you, you had in a tweet this week, the jets did a really nice job against Baltimore. And then week two, it was like, okay, well the Browns have probably the best line in football. If I mean, maybe the Eagles do, but one of the best offensive lines in all football. And so you can kind of understand, okay, a four man rush versus a, a five man elite offensive line. Okay. Like you can't be too upset about this, but the Bengals game was the, the, the game to break out and the defensive line didn't. Um, there's been a lot of theories this week on Twitter about what the Jets should do or what went wrong. Olbrick spoke to the media today and ruffled a few feathers. Um, I've had a few opinions on, on what, what's going wrong with the Jets after I've watched 
Um, they're all 22 and, and what I think they should do. But again, I'm, I'm no football coach, Michael, uh, and neither are you, but I I'm guess not. I'm not either. <laughs> that's true. Neither are you, but, um, you know, people, people tend to, to trust what you think. You and I both put in a lot of work, uh, not to say that we're experts or anything, but from watching the all 22, what did you see from this Jets defensive line? Like what is going wrong? And then what are some solutions they, they could do? Um, to try to fix it because this defense really goes as far as, as, as the line's going to take them. Well, I think first of all, Quinn and Williams deserve, deserve some credit and, and we'll talk more about him. There's plenty to discuss there, but uh, he had a really good game against the Bengals and he's having a great season so far. He's been winning a lot in both phases. So credit to him. But other than that, I mean, it's just not clicking right now. Really. They can't chain things together and which guys are, winning at the same time and you know that's what you're hoping to envision with when you put together a defensive line like this like okay Carl Lawson will force quarterbacks to step up into Quinnen or the D tackles will flush him out to the edge rushers uh, but right now it's the wins just aren't there and and, and I did a Carl Lawson breakdown at JetX but uh, I think with him I, I really do think athletically it's it's all there and he looks pretty healthy to me. You could see the explosiveness and the power, but uh, just, just technically he was losing the battle uh, against his former teammate, Jonah Williams last week with the Bengals. Um, I, I feel like he was maybe trying too many longer developing moves, uh, you know, trying to get around the corner, you know, throw a chop or throw swipes and set things up where, you know, he think do you think it makes it harder on a on an edge if you're going up against a former teammate who kind of knows your, your go-to moves and you've practiced against them a ton? I, I feel like it is. Like I was wondering, you know, who does that favor? You know, edge versus offensive line or you know, any D-line position versus O-line. Does it favor defense or offense if you have that familiarity? I would I would think it's the O-line because there's yeah, and, and O-linemen kind of have their own little moves that they pull, but it's more so the defense that kind of dictates it so i would guess that having the familiarity helps the offense more because they could predict that a little bit but not that that's an excuse or anything because i'm definitely you know saying that carl Lawson is not winning as much as he needs to but i think athletically it's there it's just you know it's, it's just like any other sport baseball basketball you get hot and cold sometimes you need to find your rhythm i don't think he totally has it right now he missed the whole entire season uh, didn't play a ton in the preseason, so right now it's not there. Um, hopefully he can turn it on soon enough because they, they really need it. And when he's not winning, it, it makes it hard for this defense to create pressure and ultimately be successful on an overall level. So, so yeah, I do think there's a, a good chance he, he gets it going because I think he has the same special tools. Right now, though, uh, I think last week and, and the week prior, maybe a little bit too much, you know, trying to set move, moves up like, draw the offensive lineman's hands and then, you know, chop it, get around. Cause last week, uh, like he's doing a lot of that where he would you know be a little patient into the move, try to like flash his hand, get Jonah Williams to throw his punch, extend his hands. So then he could work on that and, you know, chop those hands down and then get around the corner or whatever move he's trying to throw. But Jonah Williams was never buying it. He was very patient. He would sit back and, by the time Lawson got into a lot of his moves, you know, the ball was out already or, you know, just it was too late in the rep for it to really matter. You saw some flashes of him, you know, creating some movement, creating some push, but it often just took too long. So I think maybe he could rely on his bull rush a little bit more, his speed rush, uh, while those finesse moves kind of 
come into their own. So I think there's hope for him. But uh, other other than that, definitely the other guys have to step it up some more. Jacob Martin, I think, is getting some wins, but the finishing has not been good. He's allowed some sack opportunities to get away from him, some some really easy ones at times. Um, Solomon Thomas and Nathan Shepard haven't really done anything. Uh, and then Jermaine Johnson and Michael Clemens are getting some reps and they haven't been too productive either. So right well, now you're, you're just not getting I'm in the passing game. Okay. Passing game uh, run defense. They've been, I think very good, both of them, but uh passing game, just not enough wins right now. All of that is fair. And it kind of lines up with what I saw. I think what you said about Carl uh, is more right than what I had said on Monday because my initial, and again, this is why I think this part of the pot is so important is because like, we were talking about the the Bengals game. We hadn't watched the All-22, and I was like, well, you know, Lawson's not really win- winning. I wonder if he's, you know, lost some of his burst from the Achilles injury. Is, did you see any of that? Because, uh, like you said, I didn't actually – I thought it was – the surprising part was, like you said, like he was kind of losing more technically than physically. Yeah. Which which I guess makes sense. Like when you – you know, it's not just the injury, like the physical part of it. It's like he had to take a year off of football, and so he's still getting his – you know, his sea legs back, I, I guess you could say. Um, I'm not too worried about Lawson. You know, I think he's never really been an elite finisher, and maybe he never will be. But if you have a guy on the edge who's consistently creating pressures, doesn't uh, I forget who has him credited as this, but I, I saw somewhere he's like leading the league in pressures, which kind of sounds like Leonard Williams all over again, where it's like, okay, here's this guy that we it's invisible on game day, but apparently he's creating a lot of pressures. Um, I, I don't think Carl Lawson's invisible. Obviously, I think he's a very good player. Um, but for this defensive line to win with four, they need somebody to be able to finish. I think the thing that I saw um, that I think we were able to articulate a little bit on the podcast, but going back and rewatching it, and I was texting with you a lot, I think both of us kind of uh, agree that this was a real issue, is that they just don't have a, a lot of speed at the edge. They have JFM playing one edge position, and they have Carl Lawson coming off an Achilles playing the other position. And like, I get Robert Sala likes having big defensive ends, especially at the spot that JFM's playing. He had Eric Armstead play that position, would kick him inside. Uh, I think it helps against the run defense. Um, but in passing situations, first of all, JFM is just better as a three tech where he's pushed inside. He's, he's got the athletic advantage against the guards, but then it just seems like, okay, you have JFM at one edge. You have Carl Lawson at the other, and then you got Quinnen and Rankins inside. And everybody at the same time is just trying to win with power. And so the the offensive line is slowly collapsing, and you're getting pressure. But it's collapsing over the course of three, four, five seconds. So like you're creating pressure, but you're not creating chaos. You're not flustering the quarterback. You're not forcing the quarterback out of the pocket. And if you do force the quarterback out of the pocket, they don't really have the speed to chase and get after him. So they're not finishing sacks. If a quarterback runs out of the pocket, a lot of times he's still able to throw down field. That's kind of what I've seen through three games. And I think a big and a super easy way to fix this is to kick JFM inside. And that's the obvious move. And we'll see what the Jets do. Based off Holbrook's press conference today, well, you know, who knows how malleable he'll be, but... Um, can't read too much into the press conferences, but the obvious move is okay. Don't rotate these guys as much. I get your whole all gas, no break mentality. Michael, obviously I think you're going to want to talk about this a little bit more uh, factoring what Ulbrich had to say today. So I'll, I'll put a pin in that for now, but putting JFM inside and bringing in, you know, if you want to start your first round pick Jermaine Johnson, um, who I actually think has performed quite well, you know, technically he's got a way to go, but when you look at uh, rookie defensive lineman, rookie edge, a lot of times I don't, perform that well and i think jermaine has actually done a good job at at 
getting some push and, and playing well against the run game. You know, push JM and, JFM inside, rotate them less so you got your best guys in the field. I like the idea of starting JFM and or starting uh, Jermaine Johnson. And look, if you, if you put JFM inside, it's more reps for Jermaine Johnson. It's more reps for Michael Clemens. It's more reps for a guy like Bryce Huff, who they should 100% activate. That was the, the last point I had to make on this. Uh, and it's less point. It's less reps for Nathan Shepard and Sheldon Rankins and Solomon Thomas. So it's just a move to me that makes total sense. Bring more speed on the field. It could hurt you in the run game, maybe, but it's going to help you out in the passing game. It's going to help you create a little bit more chaos. I feel like it'll help them finish a little bit more. And then just keeping their best guys on the field, not rotating them as much. I mean, they had a situation against the Bengals, like their whole rotation. When Ulbrich explained it in the spring, a lot of people criticized, but even the way that he explained it was like, um, you know, in the really important third downs and the, the important situations, we're going to have our best guys in the field. And, you know, we'll save uh, the, uh, you know, the Quinn Williams and the Carl Lawson's and our top guys, uh, we'll save them. We'll take them off the field when it's like, you know, a random second and nine from their own 35 yard line or something like that. But on the big situations, the, the, the big cats are going to come in. I was watching this Bengals game, eight minutes to go in the second quarter, a big third and goal from the four. I think that the, the Bengals were up like, I forget exactly the, of course I wrote down all of the important information about this, except the score. I think they might've been up two possessions at this point but anyway the defensive line was jacob martin nathan shepherd solomon thomas and jermaine johnson it was like it's a third and goal from the four yard line and then the Bengals are up two scores potentially pushing to make it you know a bit of a not a blow up but like put it even further out of reach what's a bigger situation than that michael so even the whole issue the, the substitution the situational substitution that doesn't even make much sense and that falls on Ulbrich. so uh a, a lot to go over there um you touched on a few with the defensive line, but everything I just said there, activating Huff, pushing JF from inside, rotating him less, the the logic of some of the rotation. Um, anything you want to add on uh, on there? I know I know you have uh, some comments about Ulbrich's press conference today because I, I did get a few texts from you. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, but first comment <laughs> on, on some of your suggestions. I, like, listen, I have a lot to say about that. But um, yeah, first a comment on some things you said. I agree with everything you said because I think if this, you know, pass rush really wants to fulfill the mentality that it's supposed to have, which is speed and explosiveness, then I think you make the moves that uh, that you just suggested. JFM inside, that's where he's most explosive. On the outside, I mean, he's good technically, but there aren't a ton of starting edge rushers who are as lack as lacking in speed as he is and, when he's and, out there. And that penalty, that penalty doesn't happen last week, by the way, if, if you have any other edge out there, you know, that, that, that roughing the passer penalty against Burrow. Part of that is because JFM's lack of speed. He's trying to catch up to Burrow. He, he had a free shot at Burrow, but like you're playing a defensive tackle at edge. Like that's going to happen. He's not going to be able to finish as fast. And then dumb penalties. And we've seen a lot of that last year and this year where he's chasing the, down a guy on the edge and, you know, there's, it should it should be a faster guy in that position, you know. It, I I just don't see it with the full time edge reps for him. And it's not like you're losing a lot of strength with with Clemens or Johnson, right? Like, right. You got two young rookies who have been, you know, have had flashes in training camp preseason. Start them. It's like, you know, yeah. I, I don't. I it really is an obvious move to make. What? Why do you think the Jets have been so hesitant to to kick JFM inside? Is it because they gave him all that money and they saw him as a guy who is both an edge and an interior guy? Like, or do they think one of the interior spots is more of just a guy to eat up blocks and Quinnen as is kind of the interior pass rusher? Like, 
what's the logic to keeping JFM on the edge when you have uh, way more talent out there? It's just so hard to explain. And I don't even think it's that about the block eating. Like you look at the tape from this Bengals game and Sheldon Rankins did play pretty decently to his credit. And, you know, he's not in there to eat up blocks. He's, you know, playing with reckless abandon, shooting gaps, being aggressive. And I would like to see JFM in that position more often, like in 2020 when he was a pressure machine from the three tech spot. So different scheme, um, but yeah. Yeah. Different scheme, but you know, granted it's, you know, you're just rushing the quarterback. It's not like it's that much different. Right. Um, but I, I think, you know, perfect situation. I would bench Nathan Shepard, get him out of here. JFM, you take those interior reps, push Rankins and Thomas down one spot each on the depth chart. Um, then taking over for him on the edge, JFM, Clemens, more reps for them. Call a puff. He can get some more passing, passing game reps. Um, and there you go. I think you're cooking a little bit better there. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I agree with your suggestions. And and also I pulled up the stat here that Next Gen Stats had. So Carl Lawson right now on the season has the second best average get off time among all edge rushers. Yeah. So take back everything I said on Monday's pod about point, him losing burst. Point six nine seconds behind only Miles Garrett, who's at point six seven. So that kind of supports what I feel like I'm, I'm seeing. Like you, you just compare him to other, to the other guys on the defensive line, even Jacob Martin on the other edge was very explosive. And Carl Lawson is always the fastest guy back there. So he's still got it. I'm waiting for him to just get the groove back technically. And, you know, there's, you know, as much as an injury is physical, it's, you know, you miss a whole year. It could take you some time to get that flow, get that rhythm back when it comes to, you know, you think about how precise you have to be to like, chop an offensive lineman's hands or get your hands in his chest and like throw these moves. It's like such a small window. So it, you know, it, it, it can be like going cold in baseball, like with how precise you have to be with these things. So hope, hopefully it does happen. I'm not excusing the lack of production to this point because I don't think his wins have been frequent enough or quick or dominant enough, but uh, I think there are reasons to be optimistic with him. One of the things that I was thinking about this week when I was trying to like think about like, Oh, why would the Jets want to play JFM outside? And I was like, yeah, I thought about like, is it the contract? Like, wh- like what could possibly be the explanation? And the only thing that I could think of, this is probably the answer, is the Jets probably feel like this is their four best pass rushers on the field at the same time that makes sense in the system. Because yes, I would argue that Bryce Huff is a better pass rusher outside, but Bryce Huff, the position that he plays is probably more like where you're going to want to play Carl Lawson. And like that other defensive end, that's not at like Carl Lawson plays what's called like the Leo defensive end. Not going to pretend to know what that means, but it's, you know, the smaller, speedier defensive end. When you watch the uh, 49ers and they're play the same wide nine defensive front, you see Bosa a lot as, as the defensive end who's kind of split out further than the other three defensive linemen. He's playing a lot of times like seven tech or nine tech. And you, you can have a smaller, speedier pass rusher guy out there. But then on the other defensive end, you want a bigger guy who can help you in the run game. And that's why JFM is playing there. But, you know, I was thinking, you know, I guess JFM at edge is technically a better pass rusher right now in his career, you'd expect, than the other options they have there because you're not really going to play Jacob Martin there first down or second down. You're not going to play Bryce Huff there on the first down or second down because both those guys are, again, the smaller pass rusher defensive ends. So the only guys you have are Clemens and Johnson, both rookies, and both guys, like you said, who've who've done a good job in the run game. But, you know, Clemens for sure isn't probably ready as a pass rusher. And Johnson is 
you know, not too far away, but not completely refined as a passer. So do you think that they're just playing JFM outside because they're like, well, you know, we need a big defensive end out there and he's the best pass rusher we have. And then Rankins is a great interior pass rusher and he's getting um, a push. Do you think that's the explanation? Cause that's the only conclusion I could come up with, but I still stick by my thesis. Like, look, you need more speed out there. You, you can't have four uh, bull rushers out there who are all trying to win with power at the same time. Oh yeah. I mean, last year, definitely last year was understandable because they had such a lack of talent that he was clearly the best edge pass rusher they had regardless um, well, I guess him and Huff, but uh, this year, I mean, yeah, I think he definitely provides some size and help in the run game, but I think with, you know, Clemens and Jermaine right now being a little bit of a work in progress in the passing game, he's probably better than them just at winning. Um, again, he doesn't really get many sacks from out there and he's kind of easy to get to the edge on as a quarterback, you know, just escape his pressure and get outside. But he does he does win on the edge. He certainly does that. It's just, you know, he doesn't have he doesn't do it quickly and then he can't really finish because you need good bend out there to do that. So uh but yeah, but I guess now is a good time to transition to the to the Quinn and Williams discussion. So I have a lot to say about it. Uh do you do you have any thoughts to start us out with that? I think you know what? I think you were the one sending the impassioned text messages to me. I do have okay. some thoughts, but I think you can, you can open this one up Okay. Uh, for, for context, unless you want to provide it to me yourself. I assume you're talking about what Jeff Ulbrich had to say about Quinnen uh, today during his press conference, which I'm going to be honest. I think let's not overreact too much because I think press conferences sometimes like, you know, when you see, when you watch the video of a coach and then you, you read it differently, like, I can't remember if I said this in the podcast, but remember a few weeks ago when it was like uh, when, when Sala was talking about the loss of the Ravens and he was like, uh, you know, like uh, he was like, I'm proud of how he fought. You know, we're going to be better, whatever. And then it was like Connor Hughes' tweet was like, Robert Sala says he's proud of of this Jets team or, or like uh, how they played. And, it, and everybody like just dumped on it. And it was like a hundred quote tweets or whatever. So I think it's important not to overreact to press conferences because honestly, they don't really mean much. Um, but he did have some interesting comments about Quinnen about him being, uh, you know, it's all about the whole rotation and people questioning Ulbricht's strategy of over-rotating all these guys and keeping them fresh, all gas, no break. We want these guys going 100%. And then he had that little quote where he was like, well, people are always asking, like I just did, why is Quentin Williams not out there for this big third down, which yeah. obviously makes sense. It's, you know, third and goal from the four-yard line. You're already down 10 points or whatever it was. Um, why is Quentin Williams out there? And then he says, or oh, when you look at Quentin Williams, he's on the sideline, he's huffing and puffing or whatever yeah. he said. He's out of breath. I mean, I, I have the whole quote here. If you want yeah. Threw his own player to the bus. All right, go ahead. Yeah. So I was trying, I I was trying to set it up for you. Okay. Well, I guess to set the stage, <laughs> let's first of all, present the issue at hand and that's the lack of snaps that Quentin plays. So let me lay out like how low it is. So we're not asking just so you know, we're not asking for anything unreasonable. We're just asking for, what other teams do for their equivalent, of including Williams. including the 49ers, by the way, who this whole fucking defense is based off of considering Sala came yeah. from San Francisco. And then obviously his mentor or his mentor, his uh, protege was D'Amico Ryans. Who's now the, the 49ers defensive coordinator. Like it's not like Ulbrich was his protege. Do they even work together? Like I, I know they overlapped a little bit, and he, he, yeah, in Seattle. And see, that's what it was. It was in Seattle, yeah. and then Oberg was a player, but it's not like they worked that closely. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you look at Williams right now, he's got 120 snaps in three games. That's 36th among D tackles, 40 per game, 63% of the Jets defensive snaps. So just to compare that to a few other defensive tackles that are, you know, in his talent tier, Jeffrey Simmons, 54 per game, 81%. DeForest Buckner, former 49er, now with the Colts, 53 per game on 78%. And just to compare to where he was when he was with the Niners, it was pretty much exactly the same. Uh, In his 2020 season with the Niners, Buckner played the same ratio, 78%. So um, those are a few of the guys in his tier playing 12 to 15 more snaps per game, which is basically the equivalent of like two whole drives, considering the average drive is about six plays this year. So that's two whole drives a game in which you got Nathan Shepard out there instead of Quinnen when other teams would have their Quinnen Williams on the field. And, and that's, you know, Shepard is a guy who replaces Quinnen for all of his plays. He plays right defensive tackle when Quinnen comes out. It's basically a strict rotation. They almost never so play together. Would that affect the JFM moving inside? Like if JFM moved inside, do you think they would say that Quinnen – well, Quinn could still play right defensive tackle. I don't understand. Like, I guess he would just replace Rankins, right? Because Rankins honestly plays more well, yeah, three tech I than. I think, like, you know, Thomas would probably move to backing up Quinnen, and Rankins would back up JFM at left defensive tackle because that's where JFM was in 2020. He was on the left side. Quinnen was on that right. Yeah, it, it, dude, it doesn't make any sense why they wouldn't. And that's just what makes it the worst is because, like, okay, if, if you wanted to awesome backup who comes in for 20 snaps he's fresh and he's dominating he's like a young a young third or fourth rounder yeah that's like like, all right that's like all right cool we got either a queen williams playing at a high level or we got this guy who's rested and just as good or close to it in a smaller role but nathan shepherd was 21 straight games with no sacks six penalties (laughs) over that span no run stops this year. No sacks. No quarterback hits. Hey, hey, hey! He threw Kareem Hunt out of bounds to oh. save two seconds before the two-minute warning, and that led to the Round comeback. Well, he kind of. Oh, I mean, without Nathan Shepard, I don't think the Jets win that Browns game. Just, just throwing that out there. Yeah, congratulations. But um, yeah. So I think that's what makes it the most problematic is that it's not justified when there's such a talent drop off. So anyway. That's a very low snap count for Quinn Williams. Only six teams in the league play their most used defensive tackle for fewer snaps per game than Quinn Williams. And all those other six teams don't have anyone who's close to as good for as close to as good as he is. So that's the background. Um, but let's get to the quote that he had. Um, so this is the exact quote. Uh, there are these critical moments in the game, in games where you ask, um, that last part is paraphrasing, but he says, there are these critical moments in games. Why is Quinn not out there? And you look to the side and he's gasping for air. Just got to be judicious with it. Got to absolutely use him as much as we can and as much as we can in critical moments for sure. But I still think there has to be a level of rotation. He plays at such a high clip and he goes so hard that sometimes more is less or more isn't necessarily as good because now you're not seeing the speed, the explosiveness, all the special stuff from an athletic standpoint that he brings. Um, Yeah. So I guess my reaction to that quote is I get what he's saying. I understand the mentality, but it's, it's not working. It's not working right now. And I think it's when, just when you look at what other teams in the league are doing, it just doesn't seem justified. And it does kind of sound like to me, and I know he's not necessarily directly saying it. It does sound like to me that he's, kind of implying that he doesn't think 
Quinn and Williams can handle it. And I just don't think it's something that you should say publicly. I guess it's not the best wording for the explanation because it seems like he's justifying it by saying, I don't think him in particular can handle playing more snaps. So I don't know. I don't, I don't think it was the best explanation for the strategy. I don't know if there's a good explanation for it just because again, it's comparing it to other teams, like no other team is as good as him as infrequently. And and the Jets don't have a good reason for it considering how poorly Shepard plays. So I just think they're kind of uh, not getting the most out of this player as they should be. Well, then didn't Quinn and retweet uh, some other tweet talking about how in shape he was? Or something yeah, afterwards? He, he like retweeted an old tweet from I think August where it was uh, a video of Salah saying he's in his Quinnen's in the best shape and he's going to have a huge year this year and they trust him and all yeah, that. Yeah, dude, so I kind of like a. It clearly I, seems like he that got to him. I don't doubt that there's some guys in that defensive line, especially if they're not like performing the way they know they should be that are going to, okay. I mean, it's early in the season. It's too early to like get in the fire. Obrick train. You know, I think he deserves a few more weeks to just see what the defense looks like. But if you're a defensive lineman or a guy like Quentin Williams, who's in a contract year and he's really trying to prove his worth to his team, you want to be playing as many snaps as possible. You know, like you want to be out on the field and, you know, you see his, his emotional response to the coach white cotton on, uh, on, um, on Sunday's game, who, by the way, might be in charge of the defensive line rotation, by the way, more so than Ulbrich. I think it's a, a collaborative effort, but when you think about, okay, well, who's actually in charge of rotating these guys in, it's probably the defensive line coach, right? Cause Ulbrich's probably more concerned about calling the play. I mean, I know it's a collaborative effort, but if you want to blame somebody, it's probably white cotton. But anyway, the, that whole emotional burst or whatever, not a big deal to me. You see plenty of good teams do that all the time. I like to see the fire like that, but you might see some more emotion out of Quinn. And if, if they keep playing him like damn near just half the game when he's in a contract year and he's balling out, I mean, every, every rep he does get, he's looking good. So I, I, I feel for Quinn and I do think that the jets are going to make some adjustments here. Um, the whole thing with Ulbrich, it's a little misled to me. Like you've said, it's not like the numbers really back up this type of approach. It's not like Sala used this type of approach when he had his elite defense in San Francisco. And then, you know, I know Michael, you and I had this debate. I think it was after last week's podcast. So I don't think it was even on the pod, but it was like, okay, well, like is playing defensive line that much more exhausting than playing like corner. And like, yes, I get it. Like if you do any sort of like, grappling or MMA or jujitsu, anything like you understand those close quarters battling and you know, pushing and pulling like battling in close quarters against another human being is very grueling, totally exhausting. I get it. But a cornerback, you know, like sometimes they have to run like 60 yards all the way down the field, then jog all the way back. And then they might have to run 40. Like it's different types of cardio and athleticism. And they probably have, body types that are they definitely have body types that are different, but it's not like playing defensive line is a completely different sport. That's infinitely more exhausting than any other position. So it's like, I get it. I think rotating there makes sense. There should be some level of it, but play your fucking best players, especially on third down inside the five, when you're down by 10, Jeff. And then it's like, and then don't throw your own player under the bus. Like uh, it, that whole, the whole thing today was just, I don't know. I, you no, don't I, want to overreact to it because it's just a, a media quote. Like, I mean, clearly when you listen to him say it, he was being a little cheeky. Like, I think he was trying to like give like a, 
a visual explanation as to why the jets do this, but it's just, it just came off so poorly and the whole strategy itself isn't really backed in, in, in facts anyway. No. Yeah. I mean, my response would, what you just said there, which is a good point is, you know, everyone is rotating their defensive lineman to some extent. Nobody's saying play him every single snap, like defensive linemen have to rest. It's expected. It's, you know, there is a level of, um, you know, it's, it's a tiring position to play. But, you know, just play him 80% instead of 60%. Just get him those two extra drives that he should be getting compared to what his peers are getting. He's going to get his rest. You know, that's this is just too much. I think they just came up with this galaxy brain idea of we're going to rotate. <laughs> we're going to rotate everyone and have these super rested players for every single play of the game. But it's it's not working right now because the your, you know, second wave of players haven't been that efficient or as much as you would hope so you should be relying on your best players to pick up the slack a little bit even if that means playing them a couple more drives than you probably preferred so i just think they kind of aren't being willing enough to move away from this unique strategy that they had um and and maybe after a couple more weeks they'll change it up if it continues to not work although i don't think that's likely based on what Ulbrich has shown but but, um what what yeah. percent does what percent does Aaron Donald play? Do you know when you look at that sheet? And why you say that? Uh, just to stall for a second, but also I wanted to make this point was like, like I I get the whole ninety uh, two ninety two ninety two for Aaron. I mean, he, he's Aaron Donald. But yeah, even yeah, like yeah. The, Even like this tier below him is like eighty, eighty five, yeah. high seventies. But like the point being, like there's no statistical evidence, and look, the Jets are going to get a large sample size of it this year. Um, that playing your guys less and keeping them quote unquote fresh is going to lead to higher sacks. Like you could make just the same amount of, ar- the, you know, uh, the equivalent argument to be like, all right, well, you're, you're taking these guys out and then you're putting them back in. Are they getting, you know, kind of cold a little bit? And then also hundred hundred percent. And then also like how much of, of winning as a defensive lineman. And like, this would be something I would actually ask a defensive lineman. Uh, maybe we get uh, a John Franklin Myers back on the pot or something. Um, you know, how much of winning as a defensive lineman is kind of like setting up traps or working off right. of previous moves. Yep. And like, you know, it's a war of attrition down there in the trenches. And if, if you're an offensive tackle, if you're Jonah Williams and you have to see Carl Lawson for 80, 85% of the snaps and you're going up against each other, snap, you know, first down, second down, first down, second down, third down, first, down, like you're going up against him 10, 12 plays in a row it gives him more reps and it gives him more opportunities to set you up and build off of what he's already done and kind of win that battle of attrition. But when you take him out after every two snaps or whatever, and then you throw him back in, he doesn't really get to establish that. And I'm saying this as somebody who's not a defensive lineman, but it feels like he probably wouldn't be able to establish that same rhythm and that same, I don't know, that comfort oh, level yeah, and yeah. ability that, to set that up. That's 100% right. Like I was talking to Kyle Smith about this earlier today and he played D line and he, he said the exact same thing. I think, it's not just about rest and like how much energy you have. There's also a factor of, of rhythm and being able to, you know, set up moves later on and pick up the tendencies of the lineman you're going up against and playing fewer reps. Maybe it makes you a little more rested, but you also lose that factor of being able to um, enjoy the benefits that you get from playing more snaps where you get to, you know, like I said, pick up tendencies of the guy you're rushing against, set up things to build upon later 
um, you kind of lose that rhythm a little bit. So it's, it's not just as black and white as, okay, less reps. He's more rested. He's more explosive. Well, there, there are some costs to that. So, so yeah, we have made our, and also in terms of the evidence, I forgot it brought to bring this up, but Quinnen has been amazing in the games where he's played more snaps. If you look back to 2020, he had three games uh, where he played over 70% of the snaps and he had two and a half sacks, 17 pressures, 10 run stops, six quarterback hits, a forced fumble, two pass deflections, just crazy numbers. So I think he's more than proven that he is, that he has the ability to play more snaps and not be, uh, what was the phrase he used? Uh, absolutely gas or gasping for air. I don't yes. think that's going to be happening. Yeah. So to summarize the, the thesis on the defensive line, rotate them less. Still rotate them, but like, you know, guy like Quinnen, guy like Carl, play him 75, 80% instead of 60%. Push JFM inside and then activate another speed rusher like Bryce Huff, who's proven that he can win and he's proven that he can finish and he's a damn good football player. It's like, put in, you know, deactivate Nathan Shepard. And, you know, it's not, not the benefit of injuries or anything like that, but the more guys get injured, the more guys you know, who are on the practice squad or inactive on game days right now will end up getting opportunities like Denzel Mims and like Bryce Huff or Bryce Hall or whatever. A guy like Huff, it's week four, pass rush isn't working. You got a guy like him sitting on the bench who could honestly, like you said, Michael, be like a team's third best pass, plenty of teams' third best pass rusher. He's a damn good pass rusher. He should be on uh, the field. We'll see what strides he's made in the run game. Um, but even last year, like I didn't feel like he was horrible against the run. Like he... He got injured. He was he was out for most of the year, but when he was out there, like I felt like you saw his impact. And we were kind of talking about a Bryce Huff, by the way, front of the pod. I, I think we always kind of forget that because he wasn't really playing for the Jets at that point. I mean, he was just signed by them. Yeah. We had him on the pod like right after he signed. Um, friend of the pod. But he wasn't really I, I don't know, like we were expecting the breakout, and then he I think he had a good preseason, then he got injured, he was out for a lot of the year. But Saul said it was like what was the big difference in the defense last in 2021? It was when Bryce Huff was healthy and playing this, this defense looked a lot better because they were getting home. And when he was inactive or when he was hurt, his defense took a big dip that those were the games against new England and, and Indianapolis and Buffalo or whatever. And they were getting 40 points on the board every game. It's like defense lives and dies around its, its defensive line. And Bryce Huff has proven in this system that he can win with speed, create chaos and finish sack. So he should be active and he should be playing. Um, I know we, Look, I want to talk about the Steelers game coming up and Zach's return. we got a lot to talk about here. There's one more thing I did want to talk about in my notes that I think is important, and it's on the offensive side of the ball, and it's Michael Floor, a similar thing to Jeff Ulbrich, but the usage of his receivers, and specifically how he used Garrett Wilson versus Elijah Moore. And Granted, I'll give him a little bit of a pass. Um, early in the season, I don't think he expected Garrett Wilson to be the type of – well, I shouldn't say he didn't expect this, but considering the, the snap count he had week one – maybe he wasn't expecting Garrett to have the impact that he's already had. And that, that Garrett is almost this already this team's wide receiver. Number one. I don't think we expected that either. I think we kind of thought that would be Elijah, but what have you thought about the way that he's been using Garrett and, and Elijah? I thought that he did a nice job of maybe the, uh, the snap count and the usage of, of those guys. He clearly is giving Garrett a lot more reps. I respect that after a, a lackluster week one where he gave him like three targets or whatever, but they're playing Garrett as the slot receiver between him and Elijah Moore, which I get in the sense that, look, Garrett is twitchier. He's more explosive. He gets open faster. He is faster. Um, you know, and that, that slot guy comes in motion a lot. You know, they can 
give him kind of those easier reps and targets and quick passes and stuff like that. So I kind of get the logic behind it. But then what you would see was at least two times the pivotal moments, they're throwing go balls to Elijah Moore instead of Garrett Wilson, who's going over the middle. It's like, okay, well, if you gave Elijah Moore the route that Garrett Wilson's running from the slot right now, pretty confident Elijah is going to get open. And then if you put Garrett Wilson on the outside on the jump ball that Elijah Moore did just didn't come down with, who, by the way, is like 5'10 or whatever, whatever he is, who's not a jump ball guy. He's, you know, he can high point some catches, but Garrett Wilson is a legitimate jump ball receiver. Feels like you got to give him those opportunities. So what did you think about the way that, that, that Michael Flores kind of used some of this personnel? Cause I kind of feel like at times we've seen it over the last two years where he hasn't including Zach and some other players hasn't really put his guys in the best chance to win. Um, he has shown more malleability than, than Ulbricht though. So, so that's, it's possible that changes this week. Yeah, I think there's definitely some conversations to be had there. Um, I mean, I, I guess on that one, Elijah Moore um, deep pass that was thrown on fourth and five, I uh, really shouldn't have been thrown because Garrett Wilson was wide open over the middle. So, you know, Joe Flacco makes the right read. Maybe we don't have this conversation. Well, so, but yeah, he had the one in the first but, round, but, though. Yeah, and there there was also that as well. But, but I, I agree. I think – I'm okay with more on the outside. He can win a lot of routes from out there. And he did in this game, some of them targeted, some of them not. Um, one of his best actually was not on TV. Uh, I'm sure you saw it as he had a really nice slant to set up the jets in the red zone, which was on the outside. So he, he can play out there. It's just the vertical stuff is, has not been a strength of his in the NFL because I just don't think he's a contested catch guy, uh, not a jump ball guy. I think he, you know, contested over the middle is different, but jump ball, you know, just because of the frame limitations is never really going to be a huge strength. And he also in this game didn't really create a lot of separation on those vertical balls. Whereas, like you said, you put him in Garrett Wilson's shoes and some of those in breakers, I'm just as confident he could do those just as well. But you put Garrett Wilson outside and you look at some of his vertical releases you know, I've seen him win on posts this year, on seams. We saw him win a fade at the goal line. I'm very confident he could win vertically. And even if the throw isn't good or if he doesn't separate that much, you're confident that he could go up and get that football. So I think there is something to be said for maybe not necessarily a full-on swap of roles, but maybe a, a few more vertical routes for Garrett and a few more inside routes for Elijah Moore. It's something that uh, they could try to do to maybe optimize those guys. A little bit more but just in general with elijah moore another thing from watching the film and and like i said at the beginning of our episode um he was open a lot in this game too on short to intermediate routes where he just didn't get the ball for one reason or another so um still i think he's gonna be okay all right michael i guess we should probably talk about the steelers game and big storyline this week the return of milf milf master zach wilson um, obviously very exciting, but I think that before you can right away, just, you know, count him as an automatic upgrade over Flacco, which I think he is and will prove to be, let's go back and look at his rookie year a little bit. Um, because he missed a lot of easy stuff throughout the year. And I think before you see him consistently hitting the easy stuff and, you know, the routine stuff that's going to be required of this offense. It's, you can't just be like, oh, well, he's an immediate upgrade over Flacco because Flacco for all his faults, mostly hit that stuff. Not all the time, but mostly was hitting the easy, you know, dump offs and whatnot. Um, 
it's how he got to like 50 completions or whatever. Um, the uh, against Baltimore. Uh, but when you look at it, Zach, obviously he brings a different element with his athleticism and his mobility and his improv improvisational ability. Um, the arm angles, the release, the deep back, everything that we've talked about, uh, about Zach over the last two years. Um, but coming into this game, what are your expectations of him? Because honestly, it's, it's hard to know what to expect because I, he was having a great training camp. That's you can't doubt that. It seems like he had a good off season. He had a lot of weight. Um, you know, he was saying the right stuff. He was meeting up with the, his, his guys constantly. He did Zach's tour across America. The Jets and Joe Douglas theoretically did a nice job to build around him, although he might be playing against the, or behind the worst left tackle in all football on Sunday. But regardless, he finally seems to have some weapons who can separate, some weapons who fit his, his skills, like Garrett Wilson, who can go up and get those jump balls that he likes to throw. He's the improvement at tight end, improvement at running back, improvement at, at offensive line, on paper at least. Um, but – you know, he had that good training camp. He put together probably two weeks there, maybe two and a half, three weeks there, where he was very consistent. Good day after good day after good day, which we haven't really seen from Zach. Like, we've seen a good game against Tennessee and then a really bad game against Atlanta. And then, you know, a good game against Tampa Bay and then a bad game against Buffalo at the end of the year, which, by the way, you know, obviously some weather stuff got, got in the way there. Um, so we haven't seen the consistency from Zach. You know, his, his rookie year was mostly bad with some really good stuff and, and certainly improvement. Uh, in the second half of the season, but still that second half of the year, Zach, it's not like he was, you know, balling out, uh, out of his mind or anything. It was just notable improvement from the beginning of the season, which was very, very, very bad outside of, of one game against Tennessee. Um, so with that, or, and, you know, I guess the Carolina game, he was all right. With that being said, Michael, what are you expecting from Zach on Sunday? Uh, what are you expecting? And then what is kind of the baseline of what we want to see from him where it's like, all right, even if it's not uh, the, the performance we're all praying for, which is where he just goes out there and he has that like three touchdown, 300 yard ball out performance. We're probably not going to get that. You know, LaFleur wants to run the ball a lot more. You know, they want to ease him into the game, probably get a more conservative approach, but you know, what are you expecting? And then what is kind of the baseline of, wh of what you need to see from Zach in this game? Some of the traits and some of the stuff that you want to see that he's legitimately and tangibly improved on over the off season. I mean, like you said, it's so hard to know what you're going to get because of, just the range of, of levels of play that he showed last year. And, you know, year two quarterback, you, you never really know who he's going to be until he, until he steps out there. Is he going to take a huge leap? Is he going to be the same exact guy? Is he going to be moderately better? You don't know. So obviously we're hoping for the best, but until he's out there, he could be the same as Joe Flacco. He could be, you know, a little bit better, a lot better or completely different universe of quarterback we don't know but i think in terms of goals to start out i think it's definitely fair to keep it a little modest for the first game or two um just because he's easing back in and it's you know could take him some time to maybe get a little bit of confidence physically i, I know he says he's 100 percent, but it's obviously a lot different when you're out there and the bullets are flying so um I think having your expectations a little tempered to start is a good thing. And I think to start, you know, just hitting those easy throws is definitely the biggest thing. Just it's, it's going to be hard for him to be successful if he misses complete gimmies at the way he did at times last year. And even in the short appearance he had against the Eagles, he missed that one to Garrett Wilson. So um, just hitting those good ball security. Uh, and I think just, 
sort of consistent management of the offense like he showed in that Bucks game last year is something that's attainable even in the early going. So uh, as the season goes on, I think we'll see a little more confidence on the move and just, you know, taking those big shots, some of the explosive stuff. But start out, I think, good ball security, yeah, good accuracy on the easy throws and just a consistent uh, solid feel for managing the offense and getting the ball out quickly just like he was, he was against the Bucks, I think is a good place to start out. Yeah. It, you know, it's you, like you said, it's kind of hard to articulate what that means, but you know, when you see it, yeah, um, exactly. there's a very clear difference in, in Zach at the very beginning of the year, which is understandable um, versus the end of the year. Clearly he's going to be more comfortable with the offense. I also think it helps, you know, as, as much of a bummer as his injury was, I do think that it, it does help take some time away. All he's been doing is obsessing and he has his head buried in the playbook and how to get better and his technique and film and whatever. And a lot of times when you have to take a, you know, take a few weeks away from something like that. And then you come back, you know, I, I think, um, was it LaFleur who just compared it to golf? And I've, I've noticed that in other sports and other stuff like that, where it's like, you know, you're training it every single day and you're you know practicing all the time. And then you take like two weeks off, three weeks off and you come back and then that first day back, a lot of times you've like uh, you're way better, or like you're like at least just you haven't lost anything, and you, I don't know something about taking time off and coming back to something that you've been obsessing about over and over again can be extremely beneficial. I think it also helps to see a guy, a veteran quarterback, play in your exact same shoes because it's one thing to be like you know when Sam Darnold was here and he had to watch like Peyton Manning run the Adam Gase offense in Denver or Ryan Tannehill run the. Adam Gase offense in Miami. It's it's different when you get to see, okay, Zach, here's a quarterback in your exact same shoes behind the exact offensive line you'll have, but you know, throwing the receivers you'll have six days ago, he's playing, you know, under the same offense, same year, same NFL, whatever. Like, I think that stuff does actually help and it does matter. And he's got to learn from some of the mistakes that Flacco's made because Flacco's made plenty of mistakes, and he's also done some things that you know you'd hope to see Zach add. I think I think Flacco. He, you know, when Zach takes his first few passes, you know, uh, against the Steelers on Sunday, when he drops back to pass, it's just going to be like, I'm almost going to be holding my breath. And then he, when he gets that first completion or that second, like that's when you can start to get, take uh, start to take a breath. And with Flacco, you didn't really ever feel that part of it's because he's a veteran and he's not like the young quarterback that you have all your, your hopes and dreams <laughs> attached to. But Flacco, I felt like, did a much better job of being able to play in rhythm in theory, I thought he was going to be playing in rhythm a lot better than he did because the big thing with this offense, very, very much based on the timing. If you're watching the quarterback and he stops at the back of his drop and then he hitches, he takes that second where he's like scanning the field. A lot of times I'd say, you know, it's not going to be a good play. You know, look, a guy like Zach can improvise um, or maybe get to his third or fourth read and, and make it happen. But this offense is based off, you know, three, five, seven, whatever your, your drop is. But by the time you get to the end of your drop, Within a second, that ball's leaving your hand. And um, I think Flacco didn't probably do that that well, honestly, but I think he was a lot better at maybe getting through his reads faster, getting to the check down. Um, or at least when you saw him do that, you saw how much better he was and how much better this offense was. Whereas, like, when you saw him try to do precisely what Zach tried to do last year, which is like, okay, I know this running back here is wide open four yards away from me. He could probably pick up, you know, maybe six, seven, eight yards. Maybe he makes a man miss and he gets the first down. But instead I'm going to try to bomb it to Corey Davis, 35 down 35 yards down the field, because I think I can squeeze it in between that, that safety and corner. It's just like, that's not how this offense works. And I, to me, that's the number one thing I'm going to be looking is Zach just hitting the open guy. 
It's very simple. But, you know, if, if Zach passes up on a, 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 you know, if you're tweeting, Michael, a little video clip, a little all 22 on, a, on, on Tuesday or Wednesday, of like, oh, you know, Garrett Wilson was wide open for a touchdown here, but Zach Wilson instead dumped it off to Tyler Conklin. I really won't be that mad because that's what you want to f- see from Zach at this point where it's like, yeah, I wanted to play free. I wanted to take his chances. I, I really hope we get to see that mobility. Um, he says the injury won't affect him at, at all. And he's going to still be himself. But to me, the thing that I really just want to see is just play within the timing of this offense and get to your checkdowns. you know, like don't try to be a hero. If he's learned that lesson and he's, you know, looking down the field for Garrett Wilson and he's looking for Corey or Elijah, they're all covered. Just dump it off to Brees Hall or Michael Carter. Cause those guys, they might even get the first down the way they make guys miss, but at the very least you're going to get four five, six yards. And you're going to put yourself in, in, in better situations. And too many times last year, this jets offense. And honestly, throughout the first three weeks, you've seen it too many times. They're at second and 10 second and 13 third and forever after penalties or drops or forcing a pass and it's incomplete or whatever. It's like, take the yards and put yourself in third and short and trust your offense to win on third downs. I know they really haven't done that too much, but you know, that's that's the way this offense should work. Um, so that's what I'm looking to see. Take the checkdowns, play within the rhythm of the offense. Uh, what do you think that? Uh, how do you think Lafleur game plans this for him? Like the obvious answer is be like, let's ease him into the game. Let's run the ball a lot more. We haven't run that much. But do you think he tries to look at what Pittsburgh does and says, you know what? There might be some opportunities for some deep shots. You know, Zach has that in his arsenal. Garrett Wilson brings a different element that this Jets team has had. And maybe if if Zach starts his year off and you know, you want to use him to the game or whatever, but if he gets a few of those, like if, if Zach gets a deep touchdown in this game, that type of confidence can carry him throughout the year a little bit, you know, like you, you kind of want him to, to get off on the right foot here, but you don't want to, to rush him. You know what I mean? Like you want him to settle in. So how do you see LaFleur calling this game uh, for Zach? Who, like you said, doesn't play football in like six weeks. Well, I really think to start out, it would be good to kind of ease him in with quicker, easier throws, just because looking at this specific game, you know, Got a big mismatch there, a left tackle with Connor McDermott out there. So I think if you were too aggressive early in the game, it's a little bit high risk before you really know how you're going to hold up over there. You know, do you want to have long developing plays where you could get sacked and put yourself in bad situations and obviously physically put the quarterback in danger in his first game back? So I think to start it out a little bit quicker, a little more in rhythm and go back to some of those good opening drives they had last year. You remember that? latter portion of the season where the opening drive was becoming a you know a spectacle every single week against the Bengals against uh, the game in Miami against the Eagles although that was a kickoff return but still um, <laughs> they, well, what a they, great they, opening drive from from the floor there you yeah, really dialed up that they finished, off. they finished it off that's all that matters um, but no they did have some good opening drives, hey hey, hey. You, you know you know the goat of of Jets Often opening game drives was that I've seen. Adam Gaze. I, yeah, bro. That 2019 year, I don't think I've ever seen that many opening drive touchdowns. Master class. What, what do they have like seven in a row or something crazy? Yeah, at some point. And they, they'd score that one touchdown and then nothing for the rest of the game, which is kind <laughs> of honestly kind of a, a credit to Gase because that means that was his coaching. And then when it came down to when the other coach was able to match it, it just came down to execution. Right. Yeah, Gase was a great coach. I think Gase should be hired, honestly. I think I think should bring him back. You know, I'm looking at my you know, New England. Belichick wants to retire, bring in bring in Gase. Opening drive. I think the Jets should bring him back. 
maybe just as their opening drive coordinator because he was <laughs> pretty good at that. He's an ODC. Yeah, opening ODC. drive coordinator. I like that. Big fan of that. But no, I, I think good balance early with run and pass because the Jets haven't really been able to tap into this run game. It's It's been efficient for the most part. This past game wasn't great, but first two were pretty good. Um, and Hall and, Hall and Carter both have good YPC numbers. So there's a lot of potential this run game. They just haven't been able to establish it at all because they haven't run a single play where they've been leading this year outside of Joe Flacco's kneel down in Cleveland. So I, I would like some running early, but I also don't want too much running because you don't want to get into last year, uh, like the beginning of last season where it was run, run, pass, but the run game was so bad that you're putting Zach Wilson into third and 10 on his first pass. I don't want that either, but I also do want to tap into this run game before it gets away and really allow it a chance to build up throughout a game. So I think pretty good balance early on, you know, maybe first down run, second down pass or first down pass, second down run um, is, would be a good way to get started. Right. And, you know, some quick passing uh, calls, call a screenplay just to get him get him in the rhythm not even the um, screenplays i love the uh little pa boot flood concept that they run yeah. but just tell them like hey just dump it off to the uh to the tight end who's peeling yeah. like i know it's like a two-yard pass but even just to have that mentally you know you might get he might get stopped for like a gain of two but like you know maybe maybe the guy makes a guy miss you get a little six yard seven yard gain like get him get him into the game you know like don't yeah, open a bootlegs screen um you know, little RPO, whatever you can do that's just nice and schemed up. And eat. and not that you want to baby him like this whole game or his whole career or anything hey. like that, but first game of the season, ease him in. I think also, that would help him a lot. What is this, his 14th NFL game? Yeah. Something like that, yeah. So, I mean, he technically is still a, a rookie. Um, Obviously, the offseason helps a lot there. When you look at what the Steelers try to do defensively for this Jets offense, how should the Jets try to attack them? Uh, we haven't talked too much about what the Steelers try to do on this pod yet, but um, like you said, I think the run game is is very key. The other thing I'd like to see that we haven't seen that much of is, you know, I, I know you want to see as much Garrett Wilson and as much Elijah Moore as possible, but all the stuff they were doing at the end of last year with Braxton Berrios and playing a lot of 10 personnel and bringing him emotion and giving him little jet touch passes and trick plays and, that was working. Like that was open. Barrios was, you know, one of the best fantasy players uh, in the league the last two, three, four weeks um, because of all the stuff that they were able to do with him. And that fell off uh, the beginning of this year. They haven't really used him at all in any of those. And maybe you don't even have to use Barrios for that. Maybe you use Garrett Wilson, but I feel like there's been a, a lack of that, uh, that like jet sweep stuff, the touch motion, the trick plays we obviously talked about and, you know, maybe some of that's due to having a, a statue at quarterback, but with Zach back, you know, he's, he's best buddies with Braxton Berrios. I'd like to see Berrios involved. I'd like to see some trick plays. Like you said, open it up. You know, like you said, the spectacle of that first drive, come out swinging uh, against Pittsburgh to open it up. Oh yeah. I, I think the biggest thing on this, uh, looking at how they're going to attack this defense is how are you going to work around Connor McDermott? And I think there are, various things they could do to try to help them out. And and some of them they already have done a little bit with Max Mitchell, specifically against Cleveland. Um, but those tight ends have got to be in there. And that doesn't mean they have to, you know, stay in and block for the entire rep every time. But, you know, tight splits, chip the edge rushers, and then leak out. Um, you know, running back help, 
keep your running back in sometimes um, even condense splits with the receivers, get Corey Davis inside. You know, Cause we know he could, is a pretty good blocker who could give a little bit of a punch on the edge over there. Um, roll him out away from the left side. Um, just stuff like that, I think could, could help them to um, survive that matchup because McDermott's going to get Alex Highsmith, who, who is not a slouch. He's pretty good. Um, so it's, he, he's their best edge rusher and that's, he's going to be going up against the Jets worst offensive lineman. So that's a tough matchup. Uh, and then also on the left side, you'll have Blake and Tomlinson who's struggling against Cameron Hayward, who's probably the Steelers best defensive lineman and is still playing at a high level. So um, this Steelers defensive line is not the same without TJ Watt They're They have an own six record without him. Their sacks per game falls from three and a half to 1.7 with him versus without. So um, he is a huge effect on this D line. And, and even those two guys I just mentioned are averaging this season uh, half as many pressures over the last two games versus what they had combined with him in the first game. So huge ripple effect without him. And then outside of Highsmith and Hayward, not much to write home about in terms of Philly so far this season. They do Larry Oak and Joby, but he, he's been really quiet to start. So that gives AVT and Mitchell a chance to have a really strong game and maybe you could build your offense around that, you know, trust those guys to survive on an Island and allocate all your help to the left side or, you know, lean your carries to the right side, lean your bootlegs to the right side. So I think those, that right side has an opportunity for a good game. And if they can do that, then the jets can kind of work around that and try to, not that you want to be predictable, but uh, you know, try to build their offense around where they know the strengths and weaknesses are up front. Yeah, the Steelers' defense is not what it used to be for sure. Uh, the Russian defense, I think they're like the fifth worst rushing defense in the, in the league, or they've allowed the fifth, fifth most uh, rushing yards is what that is. And like you said, I think we've seen too many runs to the left, especially behind you know Fant when he was healthy and, and Lakin, um, who is, is a good, very good run blocker. But uh, running right behind a guy like Max Mitchell, who has played well, um, is mobile. You can run your outside zone offense and, and have them in front. And then anytime I see AVT moving, I feel like he takes somebody out. So I love the idea of, of, of running behind a, a pulling or a moving AVT. And then you have, you know, you got a guy like Lincoln who, depending on the, the design of the run play, you know, you can have him seal off the backside or he can even pull or get upfield and, and seal off a linebacker or whatever it is. I just feel like running right at this point, uh, fits this Jets offense uh, the most. And it, it seems like, you know, going into the year, going to training camp, obviously this is going back like seven or eight weeks, but when Beckton was healthy, this offense was probably predicated a lot off of running to the right. So uh, I'd like to see them running uh, a lot more to the right and less to the left, especially if you got to play behind Max, or especially if you got to play behind Connor McDermott. Um, let's put a pin on the offense for now. Let's look at the Jets defense we talked a lot about the Jets defense itself because we were talking about the defensive line, which is the big issue with them. Uh, let's talk about S S Pittsburgh's offense. It sounds like Trubisky's going to start again. I guess there's always a possibility that Pickett will enter this game at some point. Um, but how do you feel uh, about what Pittsburgh does offensively and how the Jets match up with it defensively? Obviously, our preview pod last week, we were talking all about how this Jets team is a great matchup for Cincinnati and they should be able to get after Burrow. And then obviously we saw this defense and it looked nothing like what we talked about. So it's, it's always a little hard to predict, but when you see what this jets defense 
wants to do and what this Steelers offense wants to do. How do you think they match up? The run game is a really interesting part of this because you know, I think Pittsburgh absolutely wants to run the ball. You, know, you don't draft a running back in the first round. If so, so, so maybe another week of, uh, of JFM at the edge then? I guess possibly. Uh, listen, none, none, of the, none of the things we ask for are, are going to happen. Just Probably. let's accept it. Yeah, you Nathan, don't think anybody week seven, week 18, Nathan Shepard's playing 40% of the snaps. Yeah. Just accept it. I guess you're right. Nathan Shepard's playing edge. Yeah, that's that's the yeah, they, they put they put they put JFM inside and then kick J, Nathan Shepard out. Yeah, that that's what they'll do. And then they're gonna put Rankins at the other edge. Exactly. And put Joiner a defensive tackle. All right, we got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But yeah, I think I think the Steelers want to run the ball, but so far for them it has not been working real pretty pretty well. Najee Harris is at only 3.2 yards per carry right now, which is one of the worst marks in the league among running backs. And all three of his games, he's been under 3.8. Um, so the running game has not been good for them. Whereas the Jets run defense has been surprisingly decent. You know, the Browns game was bad, but the other two games. Elite Ravens run game, they held them down, and then they shut down Joe Mixon last week, who I believe had a pretty good game against Miami today. Um, actually, he didn't, so scratch that, but never mind. They still <laughs> had a good, they still, they still had a good game, regardless. But right now, they're sixth in the league and fewest yards per carry allowed at 3.7. So, I think any of us would have signed up for that, and frankly, would have been really surprised by that if you knew prior to the year that they'd be in that spot three games in. So um, I think that's an opportunity where if the Jets can keep that going against the Steelers team that's not running the ball well, then you could put the game in Mitch Trubisky's hands. And I think that's exactly where you want it. Um, If you allow the Steelers to get that run game going, create short down and distance situations, let Trubisky get comfortable, then that's where he could run into trouble. But the Jets have seem to have the advantage here. So we'll see if they could um, maximize this mismatch in the run game. All right. Well, when you look at um, this Jets secondary, because we've talked a lot about this defensive line, but obviously the linebacker core is going to be without Quincy Williams, um, who thankfully only has a sprained ankle. So it sounds like he should be able to return in the next few weeks. We'll see exactly when that is. But when you look at the secondary and this linebackers that, you know, the back part of this Jets defense, how do you think they've played? And then how do you think that they can capitalize on who Mitch Trubisky is as a, as a quarterback and, and some of the things and some of the opportunities he might present uh, for, the, for the back end of this defense? Yeah. I mean, the secondary has been, I mean, what can you say about the secondary? Like how good well, we should specify so corners. We should corner, specify corner. Right. I should, should specify that. I guess if you say secondary as a whole, not so good, but cornerback has definitely been good that's what i was getting at but yeah the steelers really run their passing game through deontay johnson i mean he has over a third of their targets this season 33 15 more than any other wide receiver 12 more than any other player uh pat fryermuth the tight end is second with 21 um so he is the focal point of their offense and it's it's not big plays with him it's shorter stuff uh, not a lot of yak. I actually think he has negative yak this season, which is wild. So he's getting a lot of short catches near the sideline. Um, he's only getting nine yards a catch. So that quick game is going to be key coming down 
making tackles, which is something I think you trust Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed can do. They've both done a pretty good job of that so far. Um, so tackling going to be key at cornerback. Um, and then tight end coverage is going to be key because, like I said, Friar Muth is their number two guy right now. He's got 11 catches, 138 yards, and a touchdown this year. Um, so the tight end coverage is going to be big. Quincy Williams looks like he's going to miss this game. So I think Marcel Harris is going to sub in as that third yeah. linebacker. Quan is going to step up into Quincy's role. Um, so we'll see how the, the linebacker position is affected if they could hold down Friar Muth in this game. But uh, big thing, I think, with the Steelers is not a huge downfield attacking team. Their completions for the most part of the season have been uh, fairly modest in terms of yardage. So it's going to be an underneath game. You want to make those tackles. Uh, and then uh, Najee Harris, he gets a lot of targets as well. Uh, last season, he, he almost had 100 targets. This year, he is fourth on the team in catches. So he's going to get his targets, and you got to make your tackles on him. All right, I'm looking at the Steelers injury report before we get into this. And they, they came into the week with uh, a few guys that you thought maybe wouldn't be able to play, but it seems like they're going to be mostly healthy. Obviously missing TJ Watt, uh, which is big for this game, especially considering McDermott is starting. Oh, my goodness. Starting. If you were active, I would predict a 30-10 Steelers win. You know what, Michael? I, w- I was going to have a few more things to say, but, you know, that was a nice little segue right there. What are What are you seeing for this game? I think there's a few more topics we can talk about towards the end of this pod, but they're all, you know, we've talked about the the meat and potatoes of this game of, of where the jets are out after the Bengals game, getting Zach Wilson back, taking a brief look at what the Steelers try to do. And some guys to keep, keep an eye out for it's a lot riding on this game. I mean, no, nothing at this point of the season is, is a must win I would say, but, and I said this two weeks ago about Cleveland, but in many ways, it does feel like a, a must win. And when you look back at Cleveland, it, it kind of was because they lost that game to beat 0-3 and the, the uh, perception of an 0-3 team and the psychology of an 0-3 team is a lot different than 1-2. and They beat the Steelers on Zach's return. They're 2-2. and Everybody's kissing Salah's ass again. And then they're heading into that Dolphins game and in a game they probably should lose, but you know, we'll see what the update on, on two attack Valoa is. And by the way, obviously hope everything is, is okay there. Never want to see that. But if Tua can't play, you're playing against Teddy Bridgewater. You're two and two. Uh, what was it? If the, if the Ravens beat the bills, it'll be for first place. For first place. So there's a lot riding on this game, Michael. This is, this is it. It's not a fork in the road for sure. You don't want to use that type of language, but if they win this game, the two and two heading into that Miami game. And even if they lose that, they got a tough stretch. They might lose some more games, but like, even if they have to limp to the buy and they're like three and six or whatever, you're still kind of alive. But if they go and lose this game, they're one and three, then they're heading into that Miami game. And then that's not a must win, but like, you know, then you lose that. Then you're one and four. And then you're entering like green Bay, Denver, New England, Buffalo Bye. Not a lot of win opportunities there. Like even New England, who hasn't been good, like you know, Belichick's going to bring his A game. He's not going to be an easy game to win for the Jets. Um, so this Steelers game is definitely the most winnable game they have before their bye. And for this Jets team, it gets a lot easier after the bye. But you want them to, at the very least, be at three wins. I would say you'd hope they they can get to four and five. But if they could beat, you know, if they could beat the Steelers and the Patriots, and they even if that means they lose to the Dolphins and the Packers and the Broncos and the Bills, plenty of games and plenty of games the Jets should be in. Um, 
you know, you're three and six and you, ha- you ha- still have a chance. There's still six winnable games, seven winnable games on that, on the, the back half of that schedule where you could still make a playoff push if the jets uh, were so inclined. Um, but Michael, that was a, enough of a little preamble to give you time to think Steelers game. What are you expecting? Uh, I've waffled on this one a little bit, but I'm, I'm feeling good about this one. Yeah, yeah. there we go. I'm not waffling. I mean, it's just like, from a historical perspective, like Jets at Steelers shouldn't be a game that the Jets win, but looking at it <laughs> at this version of the Steelers and, you know, the spark of Zach Wilson's return and the Jets tend to do well in these quarterback return games. Houston last year, win, skip 2020. That didn't happen. 2019 Cowboys. Win. Arnold, yeah. 2018 Bills win. Nice. So they kind of got a the little bit of it. Like I said, skip 2020. That never happened. But, uh, 2016, Fitzpatrick returned against the, the, the Patriots, I think, at the end of the year. Uh, loss. That's a loss. Forget that one. But <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a little bit of a precedent here. No, I know what you mean. The last few years, they've had some good momentum when, they're, uh, when their young star quarterback comes off the uh, IR and makes a season day. You know, no, it just, it just does seem like a winnable game. I mean, their record without Watt really is a big turning point for me. Uh, the deficiency at quarterback is a big turning point. So it, they, I know it's the Steelers, but it's it's just not the same team, especially with that wild, like I said. So I think it's if the Jets are what we think they should be this season, which is a you know seven eight win team that's up and coming, then this is a, one of the games on the schedule they should win. So I'm gonna go twenty three to seventeen. Jets. Interesting. What, what, what's Zach Statline looking there? Looking like there? I normally, I ask you to make a score prediction and a, and a other prediction. You can still make another prediction, but you know, what, what do you see from Zach? I, I think we'll get one of those like a performance you could feel good about. It's not Compare necessarily it. so. All right, I guess to look at his like, games like last Texans year. game. No, I think better than that. Maybe like um, the Eagles game. Eagles game was pretty damn good. He just didn't touch the ball in the third quarter. I know, and then I guess he threw that that pick on the fourth. So never mind. Yeah, so I guess Eagles game. Okay. So he goes like twenty. So like twenty three for thirty five, two sixty, two and one. I'm trying to think what I well. First of all, I think the Jets win this game. Like you said, this is look beating Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh at Heinz field. It's not an easy task. So you shouldn't chalk this up as an easy win for the jets. Even if you look at the talent difference between these two, these two teams and very quickly, Michael, let's play that weekly game. What what, what do we call it? Um, Who's better? Yeah. Wow. Super creative. Creative. All right. Um, Quarterback. Hopefully for the love of God, you'd hope that, that the jets have the advantage here, but I guess we haven't seen Zach this year. He wasn't very good as a rookie. Mitch Trubisky is whatever. Let's just call it. Let's just call that a wash. But let's just yeah, let's just say the, the Jets are yes. very clearly. Uh, well, I guess the, the Steelers drafted a, a first round rookie as well. But the Jets on the surface are in a much better spot at the QB position. But tangibly, it's hard to say one way or another because we haven't seen Zach this year. Pittsburgh has their own rookie and a guy in Trubisky who hasn't been very good, but is at least you know been to the playoffs. I guess. Um, all right, running back. Believe it or not, this um, is kind of a tough one, but I would say this. 
Uh, I do have a stat to throw in here that I kind of forgot to throw in when talking about the run game. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I was researching, you know, why isn't the Steelers run game good? And they have some good run blocking metrics. They're about middle of the pack in those, but Harris individually, his yards after contact and his broken tackles is really low right now. One of the lowest for running back. So and you also look at, you know, I was looking at some Steelers people, like film people and stuff, and there seems to be a consensus that he's not really adjusted that well, that he's missed some holes, that he's left some plays out there, doesn't have a ton of breakaway speed. No, so yeah. I think he kind of might be a little overrated. I think he's definitely overrated. I think the thing with him is, like, he'll make an amazing play every once in a while, and, of course, he'll make a big play against the Jets just so we can clip. Of course he's overrated. Um, but like you said, uh, look, taking a running back without top end speed, and I know Derrick Henry has maybe disproven that. Although Derrick Henry does have pretty elite speed, especially elite speed for his size. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, people are very against taking running backs in the first round. Najee Harris might be an example why. Um, even if he's a good player, is he worth the first round pick when you look at who else was on the board and what other positions they could have taken? When guys like Javante Williams and Michael Carter and We'll see what ETN ends up doing with, with a larger sample size. But you look at the guys that was taken after him, is the difference that much? And I, I would agree with you. I would say no. So I would say between Brees Hall and Michael Carter, I would rather yeah, have the Jets running back. the Jets. We got the Jets, Jets to back one. it up. All right. Then when you look at the receivers, I would also take the Jets. But this yes. is, again, a tough one because it's like the Steelers might have the name recognition of Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool as opposed to Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson. But when you turn on the film, it's really not comparable like if you put garrett and elijah in the uh the uh yellow and black or black and yellow i guess normally said um they uh i think they would be uh it would be viewed differently by steelers fans i think it's very clear that the jets have better receivers i shouldn't say very clear in my opinion i think it's clear that the jets have better receivers steelers might have more name recognition but it's not like deontay johnson and chase claypool are superstars or anything but uh tight end Oh, sorry. Wait, did we declare that one? Jets. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. My yeah. bad. Okay. Yeah, no, no, Jets. And I think that's pretty easy to probably should write this. Probably should write this down. But um, okay, uh, tight end. Let's mm, I was gonna I'm leaning Steelers just because I think Fryermuth. I want to see what he did last year. Uh 60 for 497 and seven. And that's with Roethlisberger. Uh, I don't know. This is a close oh, so, one. So, so you're box score watching? Is that, is that what yeah, I'm box that, score watching. Um, okay, well, you know what? Okay, well, right, hold on, let me just the fact that you just admitted that we had to look up his box score. Okay, you're going to watch one play? Uh, you know, I, no, I said every single play. Just okay. so I can make a... All right, we're going to pause. We're going we're gonna to pause the podcast right now, and then we'll come back in about two hours when Michael has watched every single Pat Fryermuth play. Okay, ready? All right, I'll be right back. All right. All right, and we're back, Michael. Yeah, Jeez, dude, he's Tyler terrible. Conklin is so much better. Dude, wow. garbage. All right, Jets tight end. All right, offensive line. Um, I guess we'll just do this. Wait, as... what's our official? I'll say, I'll say, I'll say Steelers for now. Yeah, just, Conklin, just give, give him that one. We'll call... <laughs> yeah, we got to even it out. We don't want to pad the stats too much. Conklin's been pretty good, and and I, I like the Jets room a lot with Uzama and, and, and Rucker. But again, it's like it's hard to give the Jets any of these without seeing that much tangibly. But, you know. We grind the film. Uh, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I, the Jets and Steelers have very different reputations, but I don't feel like they're that far talent-wise. Um, 
or like honestly, I feel like the Jets are more talented than the Steelers, but you know, maybe I'm biased. Uh, tackle for this game, I feel like you have to give it to the Steelers, but if the Jets had all their tackles healthy, maybe it's a different discussion. But offensive tackle, what other tackle? Oh, oh, defensive tackle. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, okay, my bad. Um, yeah, offensive tackle, but I'd give it the Steelers. Yeah, I think, and I wrote about this in a breakdown I did, but their left tackle, Dan Moore, has actually been really good in pass protection this year. He's a fourth-round pick last year. Uh, only two pressures allowed this year. His run blocking has seemed to not be that good, but pass pro has been really good. So I'll, I'll give the Steelers the tackles. Just because you said that, it, it kind of dawned on me. The amount of times we've seen other teams have like, oh, there's that f- – yeah, yeah, he was drafted in the fourth round and now he's a, a yeah. – pretty amazing starting player for them jets have really not had that obviously last year with douglas's draft like you know michael carter the second's a pretty good slot receiver they got him in the six and jets are some guys but if max mitchell turns into a like a legitimate starting right tackle and the jets took him in the fourth round that might be the first guy ever that i can really remember where it's like oh yeah he was just some random guy they took who turned into like this great player you know what i mean like yeah. i don't want to put that expectation on him but like consistently you see teams who have multiple starters taken on day three and you look at the jets it's like either high pick or scrub that they sign from another team or overpriced free agent so uh, yeah years past years past years past i'm just saying like they haven't had those or sorry or they have the day three picks who are not doing that it's like bless austin i don't know i'm pro max mitchell is all i'm trying to say changing changing the culture all right interior offensive line Oh, Lake and Thompson makes it harder to be confident. AVT, though, is playing interior right now. AVT is AVT, one of the best guards in football right now. He's playing like a star right now. So that kind of balance. And then McGovern, I guess, is average. So I guess it averages out to an average interior right now with the way Thompson is playing. Right. But um, Thompson, you'd ex- I shouldn't say expect, but you'd hope Steelers that have Kevin Dotson, Mason Cole, James Daniels, who was kind of the player you're debating like in Tomlinson against in free agency. Yeah. How is, how has James Daniels been this year? I honestly don't really the know Steelers too much. The line seems to be doing pretty good in pass well, pro specifically. You know, no, no, I know, I know, but I'm saying like James Daniels specifically, sometimes this, you know, offensive line is five guys, but they're playing as one unit. Yeah. Daniels, like you said, from Chicago, what was he like? 24. Like I remember having this debate, um, and obviously it made a lot of sense for the Jets to go with Lakin for the scheme familiarity and coach familiarity, but well, it seems like he's having a good year. They only have him credited with one. Okay, I was I was waiting for you to say that because I, I we I you know when I predicted the free agent signings, I said Daniels and not Lakin. So whatever. All right. I guess I'm just better than Douglas. Um <laughs> it's a joke. All right. Defensive uh they're sorry. So you gave that, that to Pittsburgh? Yeah, I gave that, I gave that to Pittsburgh, I guess. Well, blah, but ABT. You make the call. Lakin. Ugh. I think you have McGovern. To Ugh. <laughs> no McGovern hate allowed. All right, fine. What what are you feeling for this? I, I think you have to give it to the team that doesn't have the weakest player between the right. group. That's so, fair. Let's say Pittsburgh. All right, Edge, Jets. I mean, with TJ Watt, it's the Pittsburgh, but right now I feel like you have to give Carl uh, look, look, look. Carl Lawson. I'm going to count JFM as well. You know, I guess we have to count him as an edge. Yeah. Because he's 
been an edge. I think between Carl and JFM on paper, and then you have their third down unit of, of Martin and hopefully Huff. You have J- your JJ and Clemens as rookies. I just feel like this is a better edge. I feel like if you're Pittsburgh's GM, excluding TJ Watt, you're swapping both these units ASAP. So I think you go with the Jets. But yeah, the Jets get it here. Highsmith is pretty good, but beyond that, they don't have uh, pretty much anything at edge. All right, defensive tackle or interior defensive line? Um, I think Hayward and Quinnen kind of wash each other out. I know Quinnen's younger, but Hayward's still really good. Um, then beyond that, both teams kind of don't have much. I feel like this is a wash. Uh, okay, put it next to the QB. And then uh, linebacker. We said the same thing last week. Linebacker is so hard because I feel like every team just has the same same situation <laughs> where it's like, oh, I know this guy, but he's not that good. Or I like the Steelers have Devin Bush, but he's kind of one of those guys who's known because he's a high pick, but his production's not actually that good. Um, People say the same thing about CJ. And that's exactly what they'd say about him. So I think we have another wash here. All right, cornerback. Jets. We're going to be saying Jets a lot this year for corner. And safety. Uh, There's no chance the Jets can win. (laughs) Yeah, all right. So they're completely even according to this. I feel like we did a good job of – I'm sure Steelers fans would disagree. That's definitely Pittsburgh for safety, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I made it on the dock. Um, We didn't do specials last week. I'm not going to do that this week. But, you know, we got the the world's best punter. even? They're literally completely even. It's four to four, and then the three pushes. Um, Jets won running back, receiver, edge, and corner, which, by the way, look a little bit more important than the Steelers' positions, which are tight end, interior offensive lineman, safety, but then offensive tackle, I guess. Uh, and the pushes were at quarterback, a defensive tackle, and linebacker. I'm sure we're biased. I'm sure maybe we missed some stuff, whatever. But I think that is pretty indicative of at least right now how these two teams stack up, where it's like, Steelers in a similar boat overall. Overall, yeah, I think the well, they're different talent wise. I would, I would. It's kind of weird because they're at different stages, but they're similar. Similar because the Jets are so young; they don't have the winning pedigree, but they have the first round draft picks. They have the the draft pedigree of a lot of these young guys. A lot of really exciting young players at different positions that it's hard to count on and and hard to count on as as guaranteed really good players. You know, they have the Elijah Moores and the Garrett Wilsons and the Sauce Gardeners and the Brees. Yeah, everybody listens to the podcast, knows all these guys. Steelers might have some older guys. They have the winning pedigree. They have the infrastructure, the coaching infrastructure. You've seen these guys in the playoffs year in and year out. But talent-wise, I actually don't think they really are as talented as the Jets. But, you know, the proof is in the pudding. You could argue they're better coached. They have that winning pedigree. They have plenty of young, talented players. It's not like they're an untalented football team, but like you said, they're kind of in a similar spot where they're on the outside looking in at the AFC wild card race, but they're not at the point where they're looking at a top five or 10 pick, hopefully. Um, so they're kind of in that range together, but the Steelers are at a different part where they just came off of big Ben and they drafted Pickett. They kind of have like a mix of, of veterans and young guys like the jets do, but the jets are, mostly young guys, highly picked young guys with a few big free agent veterans that are, you know, have some names or whatever that balance out the team. But like you said, they're kind of similar, but very different at the same time. 
Um, all that was to say was to give my prediction, which is, yeah, I think the Jets are winning this game. I think I'm what am I two and one now? Because I predicted I predicted a loss week one. I predicted a win week two. I predicted a win against the Bengals and they lost. Although I will say I did have this weird feeling walking into the stadium that they were going to lose. So, but I feel like I have that every week. So maybe that's just confirmation bias, but going at this, looking at this week, I think they do win in Zach's return. Uh, I think the defensive line is going to have a good game. Uh, Michael, feel free to think of another prediction. Um, but I think the defensive line is going to have a good bounce back game. I, I know Pittsburgh has, has, has a good offensive line, but I think the jets are going to get, uh, I think Ulbrich's going to mix some, mix some stuff up. I think he, he's going to feel the pressure. I think you're going to see an active Bryce Hall, maybe some, some more inside reps for JFM. I'm, uh, he'll still play edge, which look is fine. And in, in first down, you know, against a run heavy team like Pittsburgh. But um, I think this jets defense is a, is a nice bounce back day against Pittsburgh after two back-to-back lackluster performances. I think you're going to see more of, Hopefully more of the team that we saw week one, mostly because I don't think there's that much on Pittsburgh's offense. that scares me. I think you're going to see some turnovers from this team. This Jets defense is always going to give up yards, but if they can come up big on third down, if they can create some big plays like sacks that ruin drives or interceptions or fumbles that end drives, they'll be in a good spot. And I think you kind of see that Pittsburgh might move the ball a little bit, but I think you'll see the Jets come up big in the red zone. I think you'll see Trubisky have a few you know, maybe two interceptions or something like that. Uh, and I think you'll see this defensive line get after him and get a few sacks as well. So I'm predicting a, a big game for the defense and a, and a Jets running game that really gets going. And and then Zach Wilson, you know, maybe I think he makes a, a few nice plays um, and some stuff to get excited about. I think you're going to see a level of competency and, and, and comfortability that you didn't really see from him as much as a rookie. But I don't think you're going to see the light the world on fire, 400 yards and three TD performance or whatever. Uh, I think you're going to see more of like, like you said, Michael, like, like 195, 200 yards passing. That was very specific. I don't know. Like high hundreds to low 200s passing uh, touchdown or two. You know, I think he plays a clean game, but you know, nothing crazy from a, from a yards per attempt uh, standpoint, probably. And, you know, maybe, maybe a cool highlight throw or something like that. But I think you're getting a version of the bucks game. Um, from him and, and a Jets win behind their defense and run game. Uh, so that's my prediction. Very, very optimistic, but you know, we'll see. Uh, I think this is a very, very big week for Sala and company. Um, and for this podcast, Michael, we've been, I think we've done a good job of living up to the name of being not too reactionary, but if they lose this game and it depends which fashion and how they lose this game, but all losses are bad. Um, but if they get blown out in this game or they lose it in the last minute, I think you're going to see a lot more solid criticism. I know there's been a lot, but falling to one and three, um, the pressure will turn on, especially with how their schedule will look over the next month or so. So very much the Jets need this win. Uh, I think they, I think they will rise to the occasion uh, this week. So that's my optimistic prediction, but also how I feel. It's I don't, I actually do feel like the Jets are are more talented team than Pittsburgh. And yes, they're playing on the road, and maybe Pittsburgh has the pedigree and arguably the coaching. But talent-wise, I think this this Jets team is is good. I think that Zach will give them a boost, and I think also Zach will just do what Joe Flacco should have been doing on 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 Sunday, which is look for seventeen and throw to him every play. So, Michael, any last thoughts? Any other predictions before we get out of here? Any other stats, analytics, anything else you want to throw in here? Key matchups? I don't know. Anything else before we uh, before we bounce on out of here? Um, I mean, I guess are they going with all white this week? <laughs> I I meant actual analysis. Like you're supposed to give a prediction. <laughs> I gave my score prediction, but you didn't give an all extra right, prediction. I have a prediction. 
Yeah. How about this one? Two sacks for Carl Lawson. I'm going to say two sacks for Connor McDermott. <laughs> um, but I like it. Two sacks for Carl Lawson. That's a, that's a nice one. Um, I do think they have an interception. Okay. Do you think that, that the Jets get a, an interception this game? I feel like that this is yes, their first one. I think this is an interception. I was going to say first pick of the year, but I forgot Ashton Davis. First, oh, first and DJ Reed. First and, yeah, both, exactly. Well, hey, Ashton Davis is a real pick. Well, yeah. I'm, I guess Damn like, real pick. The most important pick you could have, the game clincher. But I don't know what yeah, you mean. In-game. Like, you know, first half, like flips field kind of thing. Okay. I don't know about first half, but I know what you mean. In-game, when it still matters, flip field. Yeah. Who gets it? Reed, it seems Sauce like. Gardner get on the board? predicted his pick i don't know if this is the game to do it i think it has to be more of a downfield passing team yeah like i, I think, think he's gonna get it when he's like underneath a guy and it's kind of like a jump ball and he like undercuts it snags it on the jump ball i think that's the kind of pick he'll get i'm really trying to make my interception prediction because i really want to be right about this joiner <laughs> so i'm really what did you say joiner <laughs> Joiner, hey, look, Joiner hasn't played well, but it's not like he's like even though he's old, a lot of his issues have actually been mostly mental. Physically, he doesn't look slow or old or anything. Like he looks actually quite fast and athletic. He's just mentally he's made a lot of mistakes. Granted, know. you know he's he missed slow. He's not that slow. I think that play where he had the penalty, when he ranged over to help Sauce, I think he kind of saw there. He's a little bit. Not getting there quite as fast as some other yeah, safeties. I mean, yeah, you have to put that view in perspective, though, because you, it doesn't really give you. I, I don't know. It's hard to tell how big the football field and how much ground he's really covering there. I know the the play that Quan you're talking Alexander about, pick? but I Quan. think that Quan is very much not a bad one. What I was just saying about Joiner is like I'm trying to remember exactly what play it was against the Bengals, but I was watching him and I was just like. It was a run play, to be fair. So maybe a little different. But I was watching him chase down a mix or whatever, and he and he makes a tackle, and I was just like, you know what? Like he's at. And then I then after that play, I started to watch him a little bit more intently to be like, okay, what's Joiner's biggest issue? And it really does seem which is surprising. Like, yeah, like is he a physical freak? No, but he, he physically he's not. You know, he doesn't look like Calvin Pace out there or something where it's like, okay, this guy is overmatched athletically. Doesn't look like that. I think this is a guy who, by the way. Hasn't played free safety in a few years because he was a slot corner for the Raiders after being successful in LA, right? As a safety. And then I think that was like, I think his last year at safety was what, 2018? Yeah. So then he plays slot corner for two years and then he misses all of last year and now he's playing free safety again. So it's either a guy who is uh, rusty or over the hill or whatever, but he, you know, if things don't get better with him soon, I'm getting to the point where it's like, all right, throw Ashton Davis out there, throw. Tony Adams or whoever. Uh, I'll say for my interception prediction, I'll say CJ Mosley. Okay. That's my prediction. I feel like Whitehead's been close to a few. All right. You say Whitehead, I say CJ. I'm not saying Whitehead. No. I just threw it out there. We're just going to name every player. Because I'm gonna be honest, I don't feel that confident in my CJ Solomon prediction. Thomas, <laughs> gonna happen. We saw a uh, 
A, uh, when was the last big boy interception the Jets had? Well, we had the one against the Bengals. Like Shaq Lawson. Yeah. We had a Shaq Lawson. Bigger, bigger than Bengals. that. 300 plus. Um, was it? Uh, thinking. Didn't Leonard Williams have one against the Saints? He did have one against the Saints. Wow, good memory. Damn. That was like a very forgettable game, too. I couldn't even remember <laughs> what that looked like. Yeah, like Buster, Buster Screen forced to fumble in that game. Like 2017? Yeah. Wow. Good times. Not. Um, I don't know. All right. We're getting towards the end of this podcast. It is 1220 in the morning, Michael. Look at that. A little late night pod. All right. Michael Carter Early. the second. He's going to grab one. See, like, I kind of was going to say him, but I just felt like it was a little, a little boring. I don't know. Out of all of them. He's probably the most unheralded player on the team. Like, he doesn't even I get to have more it. Of a, just more of a short passing Pittsburgh offense. Yeah. It might give him more chances yeah he's 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 quite unheralded michael carter for the nickel defense becoming one in the preseason right yeah no he did yeah Yeah, he had a great pick against the the, uh, against the giants you know even the the nickel defense has become like the primary defense in in all football michael carter does not get nearly enough credit for being quite a good nickel corner um and like yeah he doesn't even get to have his his name to himself he's the second michael carter yeah I don't know. Okay. Anyway, let's get out of here, Michael. Uh, you can follow us at CYJ Pod on Twitter. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nanny and myself at Ben W. Blessington. Go to JetsXFactor.com for the best place to go for Jets content. Like, rate, review on – subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe to JetsXFactor on YouTube. I think that's it. I think we covered it all. Michael, last thoughts. Uh, not uniform-related because I don't think we have any news on that. I'll, I'll check Woody's timeline real quick. But any any other last thoughts? I guess my quick thoughts would be – I think people kind of forget what a seven, eight win season is supposed to look like, because I think that's the goal for most of us. And you know, what happens in a seven win season, eight win season, you lose nine or 10 games and that involves, you know, win, loss, win, loss, some alternation. So the sky doesn't have to be falling after every single loss. Granted, I guess I understand after this game and I, I agree with this frustration. I said the same things on the last episode that it was more the style of that loss than losing the game. You know, the fact that it was another multi-score home loss. Um, So that was understandable, but if the jets are going to be that team this season that we want them to be, they're going to lose like half of their games and they're going to alternate wins and losses. So let's not after every single loss act like the sky's falling, you know, I guess that would just be my. Thought. Oh, look just at this un- little wisdom and perspective coming around. What Mr. a five hundred season! Because I don't even like, say anything. You know, yeah, okay. After your texts, should I read out some of your texts from from the middle of these games? No, it's not. <laughs> hey, you you record yourself during these games. Yeah. All right, Mister Wisdom. Um, that's been my mindset going into, the, into these games. I'm just trying to enjoy it, man. I'm, I'm past the point of letting the Jets ruin my life. You don't want to be blind optimists and just like blindly praise everything they do you want to be able to criticize them but it's like all right let's just talk rationally here measured what's wrong with the team what can be better but it's just like i'm just so sick of i don't know the the mainstream media and the coverage of, of this team it's just like i don't know it's, it's all over the top doom and gloom sky is falling clear house fire everybody it's just like and it plays into a part of the fan base that is like that and i, I just don't think I, I don't think most of the jets fans want that <laughs> doesn't mean you shouldn't criticize them and like they have a fans clearly have a right to be upset and look if they lose this game on sunday depending on how it looks although 
pretty much any loss, we'll be quite upset and we'll criticize this team and talk about what's wrong. But it, there's just a different way of doing it that I, I don't know. It's annoying. But Michael, that's why we're here. And we'll be back on Monday. So check us out. Recapping Sunday's game against the Steelers. Hopefully it all went well. We'll be back then. And then obviously we have our preview pods coming out Monday or coming out Fridays. Um, we've been pretty consistent during the season, Michael. So let's keep that up. Monday, Friday pods. Look out for them. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great week. Or, sorry, great weekend. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the Jets game. Don't let them ruin your life. We'll be back on Monday. Go Jets.